Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing fantastic, Neil. How are you? Fantastic. And you know what? You remember this song, don't you, Greg? Uh, play that funky music. I know you do, for sure. And our guest today is Brian Bassett. And Brian's a uh, guitarist and much, much more. Brian, thanks for stopping by, man. How are you? Great. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So, Greg, you know, you're you like you're really into music, aren't you, Greg? That's one of your things. You, you know. I, I love music. You know, I remember listening to Foghat when I was a kid. I used to go visit my grandmother, West Palm Beach, and my my great uncle owned a pool hall that had pinball machines and jukebox. And we used to play Fool for the City, Slow Ride. I mean, it was just all the greatest. Just I just some of the best memories I had you know, in the seventies, listening to that stuff. It was just amazing. Oh, that's cool to hear. Yeah. When you think about that, did you think when you started out, did you always want to be a musician, Brian? You know, I started out, I went to central Catholic high up there. And uh, Oh, well, I went to central for one year and then I ended yeah. up going to Sarah. So, so I, uh, I played football there for a couple of years and I was, you know, pretty much into the athletics. I ran a little track and uh, not quite as fast as I was supposed to, but you know, <laughs> so, I, but we had fun and, uh, but then I, you know, I think around that time it's probably like sixty-eight, sixty-nine when all those great, you know, classic albums came out, you know, and that really turned my head for music. I got a guitar around that time. I think everybody in my neighborhood got a guitar or a drum or something. You know, there was a lot of, you know, basement bands playing Louis Louie and Gloria, and you know, and that was the beginning of it. I, you know, I started taking some lessons, and um, you know, as I when I got out of high school, club scene in Pittsburgh was unbelievable then. You know, when I moved to Florida some years later, I was so disappointed. I was so spoiled with the Pittsburgh club scene. You know, we were playing five nights a week, you know, four hours a night. And, um, you know, pretty much a great place to learn your craft, you know, as far as being a musician. There were so many great bands. Everybody was playing original music. You know, the Iron City House Rockers, you know, with the, the Joe Shecky and Billy Price and, uh, the, you know, the Silencers, uh, you know, Norm Nardini. I mean, it was just a lot of great music, you know, come in Pittsburgh at that time and, and really through the years, but really in that era and, and clubs had a cover charge. So you could actually make a half decent living playing in the clubs, you know? So, uh, yeah, I love, I loved it. And I got bit early on, you know, of course, like a lot of young, a lot of guitar players, my age, the Ed Sullivan show, you know, really sparked that early interest in music, you know, with all the great bands, British invasion bands that were on the TV and uh, yeah, that was the beginning of it. And uh, I actually started making money at it and that kept me doing it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, set 1975, 76 was my wild cherry years. And, you know, when I joined the band and we, and really we had a, a big hit record right off the bat. It was uh, unbelievable, really, you know, and uh, uh, Rob Parisi was uh, from Steubenville, Ohio, uh, but we played mostly in the Pittsburgh area, but tri-state, you know, we we're, were down to West Virginia, all the way over to, Cleveland and that uh, was a great time uh, for me and uh, you know and really to have that big of a success you know well this is like 50 years later but you know when your first record's a number one record you go hey this recording thing's pretty easy you know <laughs> <laughs> but 50 years later you're trying still trying to hit the charts but there you go <laughs> how many number ones have you had just that one you know we charted while well, cherry charted five songs altogether, but you know in the in the top 100 but only that first one, you know, was the one that really did it for us. And and we were managed by uh, the Belkin brothers, which were big concert promoters, not unlike, the, you know, the Caesar Engler in Pittsburgh. 
uh, up in uh, Cleveland was the Belkin brothers and they were a national um, agency that, you know, did concerts. And so we were able to get, you know, with that hit record, we opened up for so many great R and B bands, just about everybody, you know, from, uh, we did shows on the last Jackson five tour, the Commodores, Earthland and fire average white band, you know, the list goes on and on of the acts that we were able to perform with. So, you know, that was for a young musician. It was a, a really great time for me. Wow. You know, and so you think about the people you met, I guess, from that that first hit that kind of put you on the map, the band. Did you guys expect that to happen? Was that like just such a surprise when you thought? Yeah, it, it was a pretty big surprise, I got to say. You know, we were playing the clubs. Of course, there's a vinyl era still. You know, I think cassettes were still the new a new thing then, you know. But uh, we were wanted to get a 45 into the local jukeboxes to jack up our price a couple hundred bucks. And uh, we went up to Cleveland recording, and that's where we cut it on our own dime. We paid for the session ourselves. And uh, just in the hopes of, uh, you know, getting a record deal, you know, we didn't have a company at that point. And, and to get a single press so we could get something in the local jukeboxes. And uh, But Carl Midori was a, a guy that worked for Sweet City Records based out of Cleveland. They were looking for, you know, funk acts you know and we fit the bill they happened to come into the studio and heard the song and before you know it we were on uh, epic records which was you know, sweet city was a subsidiary of epic records and then the balkans got us out touring and it you know sort of blew up from there wow that's that's incredible how i was always curious like how many takes does it take to get like the the one that you make the the final cut that makes it you know, to the public on like when you're that, doing a that song, I think was the second take. We only did like two or three cuts of it, and because uh, we were playing it live for some time in the clubs, so we were well rehearsed. And so when we went into the studio, we pretty much just knocked it. I think knocked it out. I think it took longer to mix the song than it did for us to record it. <laughs> so uh, Ken Hammond was the owner of the studio, and you know we had tried mixing it for a couple of days and trying all these fancy stuff, and Ken's like get out of the way let me do it <laughs> finally he put it all together in about a half hour and that was that's the <laughs> here you know so but um yeah we, we went down really quick we were very well rehearsed when we went into the studio then so greg i have a question for greg fog hat is that so how did you discover really the, the band greg just listening to music or just like at the, at the carefree billiard hall in west palm beach florida that <laughs> was it right in the jukebox there you go that was it were big years for fog hat too and in fact we used to follow them around in the arenas i'd be on the you know opening for somebody isley brothers or our average white band tour and then but fog hat would be right you know the week before us or the week after us so and i had played you know, as a cover band in pittsburgh you know i played a lot of fog hat songs uh you know coming up so uh I was real familiar with them. Didn't meet them till you know for till many years later. But um, I was aware of them as well. You know, they were a big band. You know, great songs for the clubs band to play. You know, yeah, Backman Turner Overdrive back then. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. For Good sure. Stuff. Yeah. Kind of describe Foghat's music for us. Uh, I'd say English blues, uh, English blues rock. You know, and then they were always called a boogie band because you know they always had. Uh, um, you know, like an up-tempo kind of dance thing. Not really dance, but just sort of rock and roll dance kind of feel. And I think that's because they, uh, Lonesome Dave and Rod, they were all influenced by John Lee Hooker quite a bit, you know, who had, had the boogie, you know, it was the John Lee Hooker's handle. And uh, and so that kind of music, you know, made its way into it, that combined with English blues rock. 
Very cool. Yeah. That's why now the uh, I think so many musicians my age actually learned about American blues artists by delving into the records of the British invasion bands coming over, you know, and, yeah. and uh, John Mayo and you know and Savoy Brown, Foghat, you know, Led Led Zeppelin, you know, pretty much every uh, rock band of that era were using blue American blues songs and you know influences to make their records and. And when you're looking on it, you're like, hey, who's this, uh, you know, Albert King guy, you know, or who's who's this guy? And you start, you know, B.B. King, you know, Freddie King, all the kings. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> you know, then as a guitar player, you start, you know, delving into their influences. And so they really fed us back our own history musically. Wow. What, what was your favorite band back in the 70s that you like to listen to? You know, I liked all the, I liked Fleetwood Mac. I was a big Peter yep. Green fan from when he played with John Mayo. I listened to all the John Mayo guitar players. I, that They were my influences, Eric Clapton, all, uh, Peter Green, uh, Mick Taylor. And uh, I was a huge Cream fan when they hit hit it. Um, of course, you know, loved Hendrix. He wasn't as much an influence on me because really I couldn't play like him. So <laughs> I sort of went more with the blues guys. I think Clapton was probably the biggest influence on me uh, mm -hmm. playing wise in those days. Uh yeah, so that was it. I just got into the blues rock groove. Uh, Savoy Brown, funny enough, that's where Foghat came from. Three of the members of Savoy Brown became Foghat. Um, but they had some great um, instrumentals that, and just guitar-oriented songs that, as a club band, they were great to play, you know, in the beer halls and all. You could get, do a 20-minute song, you know, and have a lot of guitar soloing and jamming. And so that kind of music was great for the clubs. Now, when I think about specifically enough, how does certain music live on? fog hat music and then also you know going back to play that funky music and all that stuff How, is it crazy when you see new generations listening to your music yeah it's great and I, um you know it's it's all about the song i guess you know and and i think people's memory of what they were doing you know just like you were saying with in the pole hall people's memories of that great time of your life when you're having fun and certain songs are like the soundtrack to your life i always say with play that funky music and you know, we made the wedding circuit you know so you can hardly go you can hardly go to a wedding after party and not hear you know we are family and you know brick house and play that funky music and you know, when everybody's dancing at the wedding party so you know that's you know that kind of thing keeps your song alive in people's lives like you know i guess and um yeah so it's just nice to be associated with a song that had such you know longevity and and you're playing in a band now do you have a band I do, sure. I've been in uh, the lead guitarist of Foghead for 28 years altogether, uh, starting. And I played with Lonesome Dave. Uh, when I relocated to Florida, I worked in a blues recording studio as a session guitarist and producer engineer for Kingsnake Records. And uh, for some years there, and I met Lonesome Dave in Orlando, Florida, when he had returned from England and moved there. We became friends, and he asked me to start touring with him. And that's when I got into the Foghead family. So that was... 89 i played with him from 89 to 92 wow. then i joined molly hatchet southern rock band i played with them <laughs> yeah. from 92 to 99 and then i was asked back to uh fog hat in 2000 and i've been here ever since wow that's great. greatest projects happening with fog hat update us we have a brand new record coming out it's going to drop on november 10th it's called sonic mojo i think it's our 17th uh studio album we have quite a few live albums too uh one we just released it was called Eight Days on the Road. That was came out during the pandemic. That's what kept me busy during the 2020 when everybody was off the road doing nothing. You know, I was in the studio working on that live album. 
I do most of the producing and engineering for all the fog projects, you know, for the last 20 years. Um, so that's our new thing coming out. We're just we're adding the new songs to the set. We have a couple record release parties, one in New York, one in uh, Los Angeles uh, in November. And uh, so that's uh, what we're trying to get the word out about that. And, uh, you know, I think we have two singles released now. One's called Driving On and uh, one's called A Little Bit of Everything. Those are actually available as pre-releases. And uh, we just hope uh, people get a chance to hear it. Well, that's wow. great. In the concerts, uh, your audience mostly boomers or all uh, gens now? Or it's pretty much all gens. You know, every, we had some songs. Well, particularly "Slow Ride," Foghat was uh, one of the first songs you had to play on the Guitar Hero game when that came out some years ago, and and all of a sudden we had these like uh, preteens and young teens coming up to our autograph table, you know, with their plastic guitars from the game and having us yeah. sign them and stuff, you know, because I think that was the first song you had to get through to move on with the game. So all That's of a sudden funny. we have all these new fans and and we do a lot of city festivals, a lot of outdoor all age shows. So yeah, we see sort of like three generations, our original, you know, fans, which are pretty much grandparents now <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and their kids and who you know, raised, got raised up on their parents' record collection and now, now their kids. So, you know, coming out to the shows. Wow. That's fantastic. And I think that when you're talking a record, are we talking record or is that how you're saying it? Like, is it? <laughs> well, actually, you know, a, a couple of years ago, that would just be something I said because it was everything was digital and CD. But now vinyl's a, a, a big thing. We have a, we're going to do a pretty big run of vinyl, uh, 180 gram purple vinyl, you know, in, in a full album size. So actually saying an album is relevant again. <laughs> and wow. so it's a, it's become a good gimmick to sell at shows then, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it, and people were back collecting. You know, I have my uh, college age daughters. I was giving gonna give away my record collection, which I have five or six hundred records to my friend that owns a record store. My daughter's like, no, you know, we want them. So I go <laughs> into my storage locker and dig out my old turntable and my old power amps, and and now my daughter's room looks like mine did in 1972. <laughs> so i guess brian disco's like not dead not getting rid, not getting rid of records then disco's not dead either then right yeah. <laughs> hey people will always dance i don't care what you call it <laughs> exactly all right greg has a question he asks every one of our celebrities go ahead greg with your question yeah, all right brian so this is for me and for my listeners right and it's really important to help us all develop from your what you've benefited from in your career and your success so brian What's the most important thing in life you feel you've ever learned? Uh, be yourself, you know, just um, believe in yourself. I think I taught at college for some time, and that's the thing I tried to convey to my students the most is that success is not as far away as you might think. You know, I'm taught at Daytona State College, you know, a small town, and and you don't have to go. You can go to Nashville. You can go to New York. You can go to L.A. to chase your dreams, if you know, particularly in the music industry. But everything can be done as long as you believe in yourself. You know, that's it. Um, find your passion. Follow it. Get some good instruction in the music business. Get some good legal advice. <laughs> but that's what I would say is the most important thing is self-confidence and, uh, you know, finding a passion of what you're as my dad would say, find what you would do for free and then try to figure out how to make a living out of it. And that's, so that's yeah. a great point that a lot of people are unhappy about. They're not doing something they love. That's a right. great, it's great, great. You know, when, you get to, when you get to my age, you know, you know I'm going to be 70 next year. So, 
I've been able to play my guitar my whole life, you know, and there's been up, obviously ups and downs and, you know, in, uh, in your financial world. And, but uh, when you do something you love, and like you said, and you would do it for free, I mean, I, my wife, you know, and my friends say, are you ever going to retire? And I go, well, what would I do? I get together with my friends and play music. That's sort of what I do every day. So yeah, well, doing your passion, that, that's that kind of thing is important when, when you look back at your life and you enjoyed it and done what you love and, you know, hopefully created something and, and then music, you know, hopefully I entertained a few people along the way. All right. Well, we appreciate it. Great information. Best place people can find information on Foghat and pick up the record today. Where can they go? Again, it launches in November. Yep. Foghat.com has everything, all your Foghat needs. So, yeah. I, I got to look into these vinyls. It's amazing. We're going into Web 3.0 and certain things. <laughs> we're going back to vinyls. You got your cassette tapes, too. You know, I, Greg, are they bringing back cassette tapes? I just found my wrestling tapes, by the way. So that's, stay tuned on that one. So what I have about eight tracks. I mean, oh, A-Tracks, too. It's bring A-Tracks yeah, back, too. We you never know. find some of those. At, a, at every concert, someone will come up with an old A-Track. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, appreciate it, guys. All right. That was a special Simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Take care, guys.